those guinea pig noises will make sense in a minute. Welcome to Mitch Day's Storytime Podcast. Welcome to episode 13, unlucky for some, but not for you, nor anything to do with this episode of the podcast. This episode of the podcast is called The Guinea Pig Claws, which will make sense very shortly. Now we have a very new special guest, another special guest. I treat you, oh, how I treat you. This this episode's special guest is actor Lydia Cashman, lovely Lydia, wonderful Lydia. Um, we worked together um, at Director's Cut Theatre Company. Yes, we did. Recurring theme. Well, there we are. That's what happens when you're part of an artistic community. Um, we did a short film together, which can be found on the um, uh, Director's Cut Theatre Company's YouTube channel. If you look for um, the short film Active Inactive, that is the first time that Lydia and myself collaborated. So there we are, a little bit of extra trivia or video for you, if you uh, want to go and seek it out. Anyway, this episode is inspired by intrusive thoughts for people like myself that have very overactive imaginations and it's sometimes very disruptive when you're just trying to get through your day and suddenly the most bizarre or slightly nightmarish um, or strange or funny, inappropriately funny um, things at inappropriate times where you can't laugh. Um, this is a thing that happens to me. Um, I guess it's a writery thing, perhaps, or maybe everyone has it, where sometimes just the most awful thing pops into your head um, or um, sometimes a silly thing. Um, in the middle of a library where an angry woman might shush you. Um, so yes, that was my little nugget, but I also wanted to write something that was obviously funny. Um, and this character, again, I wrote this piece specifically for Lydia, having worked with her, and I really wanted to write a character for her. Um, and I think she does a really fantastic job, so I can't wait to share this with you. Here we go, this is episode 13. The Guinea Pig Claws. If I asked you to picture a beautiful giraffe chewing on a leaf, you could imagine that for me, right? Thank you. Just hold that image in your mind for a moment. <sighs> now, 
If I ask you to imagine a lovely librarian sighing with contentment on her last day of work as she prepares for retirement, feeling not one moment of her time spent surrounded by books was wasted, you can probably conjure a nice image of that too, couldn't you? Hmm. This story is actually about me though. If you were like me, you'd have imagined that giraffe dislodging its jaw and swallowing that librarian whole like a hungry snake by now. I can see the librarian-shaped lump in the savage giraffe's neck being slowly digested quite clearly. Probably you can see it now too. Sorry. It's just how my brain works. The more mundane my day, the more my imagination makes trouble for me. I'm going to ask you to imagine something else now. An old building. Industrial. Rusty and boring. Now, it's not that I didn't love my job at the antifungal foot cream factory, but um, there were times I wondered if I wouldn't be better off somewhere my imagination was a little more occupied. Sometimes my eight-hour shift would be so dull, my brain was left to create all manner of intrusive oddities that haunted me and made it difficult for me to socialise. My boss tells me about his weekend. I imagine him taking a dump on my mouse mat. Linda offers me a cup of tea. I imagine her whipping out a freakishly long nipple and aggressively stirring my tea with it as she screams in pain. It sounds funny ha-ha and funny peculiar. It's actually sometimes hard, really hard. If you're picturing something dirty just because I said the word hard, that is your problem. Some days I can cope with it. I chase the images away. Other days I'll get stressed by something and be all the more imaginative for it. I want to tell you about one day in particular where two words set me off. How can two simple words make you want to reach into your own stomach and extract your intestines like a clown's handkerchief and slowly feed them directly into the mouth of a lion? Well, they can. And I can't even bring myself to speak them now. Okay. Deep breath. I'll try. The two words are social and work. Oh, no, uh, not social work. I didn't mean that. I thought if I thought it would be easier to say it if I switched the words around, but it didn't work. Work social. That was the awful thing. Work socials. I, I really hate them. The socials, not exactly the people. You see, the people at work didn't really realise that I struggled with my inner monologue. They just thought I was quiet, 
going out with colleagues. What an awful invention. My idea of the perfect evening was listening to an audiobook on my noise cancelling headphones with my pet guinea pig Caravaggio asleep on my lap. I know it's an odd choice of a name for a small animal. He hasn't ever painted a portrait of his own severed head to gain the name. <laughs> I just like the quirkiness of it. That was an art reference. Google it if you wasted your life on football. I studied art at college, you see. My brain is a bit like an art gallery, actually. Lots of abstract images, an expensive gift shop and an angry woman telling me to shush. I didn't really get to be artistic at the foot cream factory, but I tried to be nice. They wouldn't have thought I was nice if they could read my mind, which I sometimes imagined that they could. I often daydream about being dead and them saying something like, Rebecca was so nice, such a lovely girl. Probably in the apology letter sent to my parents saying how sorry they are that I tragically tripped and drowned an industrial vat of aloe vera. Work social time, sang Sally from accounts, brandishing a clipboard because nothing says fun like a clipboard. Yudin, aren't you Becky? She basically instructed without giving me time to respond. It's Rebecca, not Becky, but I was too shy to keep telling people. She drew a large tick against my name with a flourish of her fluffy pink pen and then coughed without covering her mouth, shifted her left breast back into her ill-fitting bra, nodded her head in approval and strode to her next target. I nervously glanced down at the pink slip of paper she had slammed on top of a pile of purchase orders. Night at the Green Man. The Green Man? <laughs> Why would you name your pub that? Our food turns men green? Good message. May as well be called the man with an owie bottom. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. My brain repeated it like a mantra. Had she given me the opportunity, I could have said something to get out of it. Sally was the best person to rally the troops because she didn't listen. Had she taken a breath, I could have said anything. I could have even said, I'm not free that night, Sally. I'm having my prostate examined for the benefit of science. And she would have accepted it and let me off without question. Sadly, Sally did not breathe between words and seemed to require very little oxygen. I imagine she doesn't need to fly to reach her holiday destinations. Just trudge her way directly into the sea until she emerges on a beach in Florida covered in algae, some plastic rings and a starfish, shouting, Here I am, America! Anyone got a towel? I watched as she went desk to desk. Nervous, Nigel? In. Halitosis Pauline? In. Glamorous Beth? In. Inappropriate Gareth. In. Lovely Carol. In. Then she approached Keith. Oh, Keith, my kindred spirit. So similar to me, in fact, that we'd not spoken to each other once in three years. I would sometimes daydream about our fake lives together, sharing a sofa and reading. Maybe we'd have a bunny friend for Caravaggio that sits beside him on a cushion. 
Occasionally, we'd ask each other, would you like a conversation, sweetheart? And the other would say, no. And then we'd smile, finish our books, and then make love atop some carefully placed towels. I think I'd like that. <laughs> it would never happen, of course. Couples need to talk at least once to agree the basic terms of their relationship. I'd once, in a moment of complete craziness, typed a contract out and considered emailing it to him for signature. I didn't, of course. That would mean I was insane. I snuck a long stare at him from the corner of my eye. He was looking beautiful as Sally wafted her clipboard past him. He didn't want to go to the green man either, I could tell. But his name was on the list regardless. In! He had been rallied by Sally. In fact, this particular social was going to get the highest attendance ever. So much so Sally sent an email to all expressing her thanks and love. Basically a threat to anyone considering backing out later, which I imagined was everyone. I thought about saying something to beautiful, quiet and kind Keith. Something like... Oh, she got you too, did she? Maybe we can sit together. Strength in numbers. But I imagined if I tried um, that I would be so nervous I'd um, open my mouth and immediately vomit on him whilst wetting myself. So I decided against it. Instead, I opened our love contract and reread it. Having a nice little daydream about Keith always helped me calm my nerves. <laughs> Keith, henceforth known as the boyfriend, and Rebecca, henceforth known as the girlfriend, hereby agree to quietly love one another. The girlfriend shall be allowed unlimited trips to the library. The boyfriend shall be permitted to massage her shoulders, bring her walnut whips and help care for her guinea pig. Love for the pig shall however be limited to ensure the girlfriend remains Caravaggio's favourite. I'd read you the whole document, but it's 18 pages long. This is how I spent my lunch breaks. Becky! barked inappropriate Gareth. Breaking my mini calm, Gareth was on the same level as me at work, but always spoke at me with a managerial tone. You know the type. Yes, I said, blushing. Have you uh, printed that order off for me yet? The one I asked for an hour ago. I hadn't. Oh, no, sorry, I said, quickly hitting Control and P to print off the file for him. I attempted a polite smile. It's coming out the printer now. <laughs> I said it nicely. Tarlov, he said, adding a nauseating wink. I imagined he was the sort of man who might measure his willy every time he got in from work to keep tabs on his own readiness to displease the female population. A horrible thought crossed my mind. <laughs> what if he tried to make a move on me at the social? <clears throat> Yuck. <coughs> Gareth's attention is not what any woman wants. He collected his paperwork from the printer and flashed me a mini scowl across the room as though he could hear my thoughts. Honestly, sometimes I seriously wonder if people can. And I felt startled. Immediately fake typing, which made me look even more suspicious. I waited until he was gone to ask Halitosis Pauline what his deal was. 
Hal, um, I started. Oh, crap. Um, sorry, Pauline. I quickly corrected. Yes, Becky, she said. And I promise you that is exactly how she speaks. What is it, dear? But before I could reply, Gareth walked back through the office with a massive grin on his face. He walked over to her desk and said, Pauline, I need you. And somehow managed to make it sound sexual. Pauline was 63. An unpleasant image of her breastfeeding Gareth suddenly invaded my mind. Gareth smiling with his eyes as he suckled like one of those weird fish you see attached to the side of the tanks. I imagined her milk must taste like her breath. Oniony. Becky wanted to go first, she said. Oh no, I do not, I thought, imagining her offering me her savoury milk. Uh, no, it's fine, I said quickly. You go. And so she did. I tried to imagine my brain as an etch-a-sketch so I could erase the unpleasant images it had just conjured. Oh, too many suckling noises. On the evening of the social, I was stressed before I even left the flat. Every outfit I owned, I'd worn to work at some stage or another. Was I supposed to dress up? I panic searched my wardrobe over and over. I even, in one frenzy, opened the fridge. What did I think I could do with the stuff in there? Fashion a bikini with some Billy Bear meat. I gave Caravaggio his greens and he munched appreciatively. Life as a guinea pig is so much easier. I chose something I thought was pretty and forced myself not to second guess it. It was fine. On the taxi ride over, several versions of the whole evening played out in my mind, which was like having several nightmares all at once. I had to think of excuses I could use to get out of it just to squash the anxiety. Hi Sally, it's Rebecca. Bit of an issue. The cab driver killed me and buried me around the back of Burger King. No, that would be no good. They'd take me off the payroll. Um, Hi Sally, it's Rebecca. I'm afraid I've got... <sighs> bum troubles. It's awful. Completely ruined my little mermaid shower curtain and everything. We're there, said the cabbie, yanking his handbrake loudly. 1350, love. 1350. I guess I'll just sell my lungs to science then, I thought. But I didn't say it. I tapped my card, hoped it wouldn't get rejected, and said thanks with a smile so forced that the man looked a little frightened of me. When he drove off, I hurriedly examined my expression in the reflection of the window, using my fingers to mould my insincere face into something more human and practice my I'm comfortable and I'm enjoying myself face. I took a deep breath and entered the green man. If you're imagining something rude about the Incredible Hulk right now, you're having your own intrusive thoughts. The lady at the bar scrutinised my face and decided I didn't look like one of their usual customers as she pointed me straight to the roped off area set aside for our company. I froze. Keith, gorgeous, Keith. He had arrived first and was sat facing the window I had literally just been fingering my face at. Is it possible to cringe so hard you could actually die?
My cheeks felt suddenly very hot. He turned and gave me a gentle wave. Damn, I was seen. I couldn't run to the toilets and cry. I walked over and placed my head into my hands as I sat down with a slump. Everything okay there? He said with his soft Irish lilt. I had no idea he was even Irish. Uh, did you just see me out there? I asked, peering through my fingers. Would you believe me if I said no? He asked. His smile was nice though. Genuine. Not mocking or mean in any way. I would. Please say you didn't. Looks like it's just us for now, he said, kindly changing the subject for me. Drink! loudly interjected the bar person. I don't really drink, so I'd no idea what to say. What I wanted to order was a Ribena and lemonade, but I couldn't order that. I'm supposed to be an adult. I looked down at Keith's glass for inspiration. A pint of Guinness, please, I said. And unfortunately, they brought me one. I'd never tasted Guinness before, but let me tell you, the smell was not giving me high hopes. Cheers then, Keith said, raising his glass, which I then noticed far too late was actually a pint of cola. Oh, I gulped down the smallest piece of the liquid unhappiness and I tried to hide my reaction. Keith laughed and nearly spat out his own sip. Well, usually, this sort of thing would make me want to cry, but I actually laughed with him. I thought, um, I know... You want to swap? I don't mind. Wouldn't that be like we've kissed? I said so quickly I had no time to pull the words back in. A few minutes later I was starting to relax. How had we never spoken before? I noticed he had a book in his jacket pocket, just in case. An emergency book? Why hadn't I thought of that? I didn't think it was allowed. I even felt comfortable telling him about my issues with my intrusive imagination. Are there, like, groups for that sort of thing? He asked. Actually, I heard about one once. No way. I heard someone talking about it on a bus. Imaginary intruders, it was called. And? Did you go, like? I did. But I'd misheard. When I got there, it was actually imaginary Tudors. They wanted me to dress up as Anne of Cleves. No way. Wasn't she the ugly one? Keith said. You would be Anne Boleyn for sure. I was actually starting to feel pretty good about our accidental date. Until, until the others arrived, of course. As they all slowly filled in the reserved area one by one, Keith moved to sit next to me and the others built up around us. It was going okay. What had I been so worried about? Well, thanks to Keith, I felt a little protected. We seem to be developing our own little rapport. We even moved in unison as Halitosis Pauline got too close. The only real worry was inappropriate Gareth. Why? Because Gareth arrived drunk. Of course he did. His laugh was louder than the whole pub noise combined and it was starting to get embarrassing. After we'd all eaten our starters, I excused myself to use the loo and I could see across the pub that Gareth was scrambling to take my chair next to Keith. 
which upset me. How would I persuade a drunk to give me back my place? As I washed my hands, I heard a big laugh that I knew was Gareth's. My stomach sank. What was so funny now? My brain told me, they're laughing at you, Rebecca. But I pushed the thought down into my subconscious and decided, no, it's all fine. But as I approached the table, I noticed the whole group were listening to whatever Gareth was cackling about. And when I returned, they all looked at me with startled faces. What's the matter? I said. But I didn't need to be told. I could see it. There, in Gareth's hand, my love contract. My embarrassingly detailed love contract about Keith and I. My eyes widened in horror and I could feel tears were coming. My face confirmed for everyone it wasn't some joke of Gareth's. Everyone immediately knew it had come from me. Oh, I had printed it by mistake instead of that order he wanted. That's why he gave me that look. He didn't need to read my mind. I have typed it out and printed it off and given it to him. It was too late to style it out. My whole upper body was burning with embarrassment. The, the harder I tried to suppress my tears, the faster my lower lip trembled and the quicker my eyelids filled up. It was a fight or flight moment. Grab Gareth's face and smash it repeatedly into the table or run. Obviously, I ran. A pathetic, girly run, the type with flailing arms and everything. I could sense lovely Carol was following behind me. Don't be nice to me, I thought, not turning around to look at her. I took a deep breath and I sucked in all the tears. I turned to her, probably looking constipated. Oh, sweetheart, she said, and... I immediately croaked like a little toad and melted into her shoulder. Oh, it's so embarrassing. I want to go home now. I sniffed. Come on. I've only had enough. I can get you home. When we got back to my place, she offered to come in, but I thanked her and said it was okay for her to go back to the party. Before she left, she turned to me and said, I wasn't worried, love. We all think he's a prick. I somehow managed to sleep, albeit with several dreams where I was being forced to marry my Aunt Virginia, and every time she moved in for the kiss, she transformed into an elephant seal and bit my face off. When Monday morning arrived, I could have caused a minor earthquake just from cringing my way back into the office. Everyone was acting normally. Which was suspicious, as none of them were anything close to normal. I once caught one of them dipping a custard cream into cottage cheese. And no, I didn't imagine it. When Keith walked in, the whole room became even more fake. They even sounded like they were actually working. <laughs> At break time, the others rushed out and he approached me. I could feel my whole body recoiling. If only I were a turtle, I could have retreated into my abdomen. Hey there, he said. About that contract. Oh God, don't actually say that word. I thought wanting to die. Uh, listen, yes, um, about that. I started, but I stopped 
when he raised it up. Oh, God. He'd read the whole thing. Even the bit about dressing as otters and laying on our backs with linked arms to make a couple's Christmas card. Obviously, I know you didn't write this. No? Of course not. I mean, that would make you a little bit crazy-like. Exactly. But... I did read through it, and it's an interesting document. I wondered if faking a heart attack was my only option. Oh! Yeah. The T's and C's. The terms and conditions. They're all pretty, uh, one-sided. If this were real, it would need some proper negotiation and some, some amendments first. I guess. I'd honestly no idea where the hell this conversation was headed. But obviously you didn't write this. You don't think that Gareth is in love with me, do you? I laughed. <laughs> I tried not to imagine Gareth sucking on Keith's nipple this time around. Tried, but failed. Obviously he fantasises about the two of us and writes about it. He's a very strange man. This is what I said. Then there was... A little silence before he spoke again. Hmm. I was, uh, I was sad you left. It was boring after you went. Had to reach for my emergency book and everything. Sorry about that. I've wanted to ask, you know, ask you out. For a long while now, Rebecca. He called me by my actual name. Not Becky. What a hunk. I would have said yes, I said, getting the words out quickly before I could overthink and censor them. Keith smiled, and so did I. The cringe was melting away and replaced by something, something wonderful. I suppressed the urge to fashion a paperclip into an engagement ring and propose right then and there. He knew I'd written that contract. I knew he knew. And he was still interested in me. I did have an intrusive thought that told me this meant he's a psychopath who'd cut me into little pieces and pickle the meat chunks in jars, but I ignored it. But that, sadly, is exactly what happened. Only joking. <laughs> Obviously not. We went on a nice date, which was perfect because our colleagues weren't there to spoil it this time. A few dates later, he returned the love contract, which looked as though it had been read a fair few times with some handwritten notes on it. I read with great interest. Some of the amendments sounded acceptable. Others needed further talks to settle. As we moved into the second round of negotiations, I thought things could get intense and I had a few awful premonitions about terrible ways things could go. Imagining us both dying, like the bit at the end of Thelma and Louise, for example. But I also let myself imagine a version which would turn out just fine. In the end, it wasn't just fine. It was even better. Pretty fantastic, actually which I try and remind myself of when the inevitable new weird or scary thing pops into my head. For every weird thought, I try and invent a happy one. 
for every nightmare. I write myself a dream. And the days I struggle to do that alone, Keith brings me walnut whips and we both reach for our emergency books. I couldn't really ask for better than that. Shame about the Christmas cards outfits though. Maybe that was one demand too far. was the guinea pig clause read by Lydia Cashman. Thank you very much, Lydia, for your wonderful performance. Um, really enjoyed uh, recording that, really enjoyed writing it, as I always do. And um, I'm so pleased that you're here and um, part of this podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you. Now, we're just going to have to have this little conversation again. You need to give this podcast five stars, okay? And you also need to write a review. Now, you don't have to put lots of stuff in the review. You can just write, great, exclamation mark. That's really all I need. And a piece of your soul. Um, oh, I shouldn't have mentioned that bit. Um, yes. Please review. Please leave five stars. Please send me money. God, we don't make money in the podcasting world unless you have a sponsor. Ooh, ooh, ooh. If you own a foot cream factory and you want to sponsor this podcast and send me some money for it, then that I'm I'm up for that. Look, I can do a I can do a foot cream advert. Do you have smelly feet? Oh, if you do, I can recommend this lovely cream. Oh, it's lovely cream. Oh, it make your feet all tingly. Oh, actually, that's one of the side effects. Oh, this is why I don't have a sponsor. Anyway, um, what am I talking about? Yes, join us again for episode. Now, hold on a second. But fourteen. Because anything else would be numerically incorrect. See you next time.
I walked over and I placed my hands into my head. Can you hear that plane? And all my housemates. <laughs> Shut up. Ah, oh, balls. Ooh. This podcast is sponsored by Bunyan Cream. Perfect for all occasions.